This is the Macmillan Library Podcast, a community conversation maker, bringing you curated conversations with Macmillan librarians, community members, authors, musicians, artists, and more. Conversation Maker Podcast. Today we have Mark Thompson. Uh, we have just started our summer reading program here at the library. So if you haven't signed up, there are programs for all ages with fantastic prizes. And there's weekly drawings, there's grand prizes, there's programs happening uh, in June, July, and August. We have program guides you can pick up here at the library. There are a lot of fantastic programs, and some of them have limited registration, which is going quickly, so I would check that out. And now... Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Mark Thompson on, and could you introduce yourselves to everybody? Hi, I'm Mark Thompson. I uh, live and work here in Wisconsin Rapids. Uh, I help inventors and... um, uh, develop their ideas and achieve uh, patents. Uh, I file for patents and help people get patents if they are so desired to do so. And uh, I'm also associated with the Central Wisconsin Literacy Council. Uh, we have a book sale coming up uh, this weekend on the uh, Cranberry, the weekend of the Cranberry Blossom Festival Parade uh, on Sunday, uh, June 17th. So uh, we're having a, a, a big book sale this uh, weekend, and we're, we look forward to seeing everybody come down to uh, St. John the Episcopal uh, Evangelist Episcopal Church uh, here at uh, 320 Oak Street across from the post office in Rapids on Grand Avenue. And that's on that's on June 17th? Uh, well, or this uh, weekend? Um, yeah, it's going to be the entire weekend. Uh, we're going to start Thursday evening, 4 to 8, uh, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll be there selling books uh, anywhere from a quarter to a dollar each. Uh, I think most of the hardcovers are a dollar. And, uh, yeah, we've got a, a quite a selection of modern books that you can come and grab what you want. And we want everybody reading. Awesome. Where where did you get all the books? Were they donations? Did you buy them? Did you get them out of dumpsters? What was going on? Uh, a, lo- a lot of the books were donated to us. Uh, a lot of them have been recycled. Uh, as everybody knows, uh, you read a book once or twice, and um, there's not a lot of demand to go back to it. Uh, some of some of them you want to keep and uh, keep around, but other ones like um, dime novels and crime mysteries and stuff like that, you read them once and they're sort of dead. And so uh, we have a pretty large selection, including cookbooks and other other things that we've gotten from uh, estate sales and donations and all sorts of sources. Sounds great. How long have you been involved with them and how did that come about? Uh, I've been with the Literacy Council about a year, um, yeah, almost a year now. Uh, I have been uh, working with a, a number of the uh, pre- one of the previous executive directors and saw that there was a real need for uh, helping people with their health and scientific literacy. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm a big proponent of science and scientific literacy. Uh, I'm also a, uh, a Wisconsin licensed math teacher, uh, which uh, I love to help people with mathematics. And I just love the beauty and joy of mathematics. And 
Uh, so this is this is a way for me to flex my muscles in that regard. Wow. I wish that I loved math like that. It looks it looks like it could be fun if you understand it like that, but somewhere along the way in uh algebra they lost me. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, uh, this is uh, this is what I tell all my students about mathematics. That math is a what math what you learn in math class is uh, are various tools and how to use them. And so, your brain you can think of it as a giant toolbox, and the things that you learn, the different things, and not only math but everything else are sort of tools that go into the toolbox. And these are tools that you can use at later uh, chances to solve problems. Um, you know, if you need to drive a screw, there are a lot of ways to do it. Uh, you can use a hammer and you can pound it in. Uh, that's a lot less effective than using, say, a Phillips head screwdriver or even a vice grips. Uh, and so, again, all of these different tools that you're using are just different things that you've learned in algebra and geometry and I trigonometry geometry. and, yeah, and, uh, and, you know, and calculus. And um, it's, it's all very beautiful and it's, I think it's a beautiful way for us to try to express the, the majesty and, and beauty of nature. In thinking of those higher levels of math and the things that you find beauty in where a lot of people in class go, Buh, I'm never going to use this ever. Why am I learning it? So like what are, what have you found that you've gained from knowing higher level math or like why would someone put the effort in even though you're talking about these like tools, like someone in class like that's a tool I will never need. So why should I put the effort in? Well, in all in all realistic terms, you never know how to use the tools until it's time to solve a problem. Uh, and so if you have a problem that needs to be solved, um, you have to reach into your toolbox and pull the tools that you know. Uh, you can't pull out tools that you don't know. Um, and so having some of these tools, while arguably uh, some of them may never or rarely be used, um, there's no substitute for the right tool, uh, and and that and that spans a, a great number of um, life contingencies, right? Uh, that you you need to be able to uh, solve the problems, and you never know what kind of problems are coming, and you need to apply the right kind of tools. Um, now I've used uh, low level mathematics like algebra and geometry to analyze, say, forces on a bridge. Um, but when it becomes critically necessary to protect people and to protect uh, vehicles and to, say, get our tanks across the Wisconsin River, if uh, such a, uh, an occurrence would be needed, we would need to rely on more precise uh, tools and more uh, accurate assessments of how the forces and weight of the vehicle, just everything. Uh, and so, again, these are different. This, this is back to the using a vice grip to drive a screw as opposed to a Phillips head screwdriver. Right. Yeah, I've found uh, I recently had to try to fix a bunch of things that I know slightly how to fix them in my house. And I used to live right down the street from my dad who has like every tool known to man. And 
I would figure out what the problem is and then I'd walk over there and either find the tool or ask them what tool do I need for this and get it and sure enough that works great. And now I'm here trying to use the wrong tools and taking like an hour to do something that could take five minutes but I don't want to spend like hundreds of dollars on one tool that I'm going to use this one time but it'd probably be a worthwhile investment. I'm sure I'll end up, it'll break again. But I see, yeah, that point and that could open up more doors as well if you have the right tool like my dad people come to him to um, help solve problems like this is the guy that has the tools so he gets invited to do different things whereas I don't and I don't even know about those opportunities because people don't come to me for that because they know I don't have all those tools I've got the basics so they skip right over me and that opens up more opportunities for people who do know more things or know how to find the answers. Well, I respectfully submit that uh, having tools isn't the entire uh, isn't the entire solution because tools are useless without the experience of use, uh, and that includes a lot of failure. That uh, means applying mathematics and tools and uh, knowledge and science literacy and other things in ways that might not work. Uh, and so uh, using using different ways of solving a problem, uh, for example, my, my daughter is uh, in middle school now. I guess she's, uh, she's entering high school now. Uh, and she has to solve routine algebraic problems about, you know, John buys uh, X cans of tomato soup at 79 cents each and um, – why cans of green beans at 99 cents each? Uh, you know, what is the best combination of these two for the $6.79 she has? And so you, you have to try to put place all of these sort of knowns and stuff together in such a way that it helps you solve the problem in the way that you need it. And sometimes it, it's not easy and it uh, doesn't always work. Yeah, that's a great point because I was kind of bundling that in with my tool explanation where I ask him what is the right tool, like how do I use it, is he has all the experience with the tools because he does use them all the time and he knows different ways to do different things. So along with the tool, he has the, the troubleshooting um, knowledge that I might not have as well, the experience doing it. Um. What is the main, could you tell us about like the main goal of the Central Wisconsin Literacy Council and maybe some programs or some things that are like day-to-day -day things that are happening around the area? Right. Okay. So we, uh, we help uh, adults generally um, improve their literacy, uh, typically by focusing on uh, English, English language learning. Uh, that includes reading, speaking, writing, and understanding English, uh, newspapers, etc. Um, we teach general computer and math skills, uh, health and science literacy, um, perhaps for adults going for a GED uh, or increasing their workplace uh, training for uh, advancement at, at their job. Um, our goal is really to help advance um, people's understanding uh, of what they what they read and how they uh, react to the information that they absorb and 
Um, so we're, we're really about making lives better by improving the way people uh, read and understand. And how do people, how do people even uh, find out about what you do or like say I'm somebody that could use these services, how do I even go about um, utilizing them? Well, all right. So uh, you can call us on the phone uh, anytime, 1-855-483-7229. You can also uh, sign up for us uh, uh, to look at our uh, Facebook page uh, or go to our website, centralwisconsinliteracy.org. Um, all of these places give you ample opportunity to see some of the things that we offer, to sign up uh, or get more information on adult learning, um, complete a student application if you're uh, if you're interested in that, or become a volunteer. Uh, this this organization wouldn't exist without uh, the hard work of the volunteers and tutors uh, that we have to. Um, to help some of these other um, adults learn, and it's uh, it's very rewarding to be able to to help people uh, get better in life. And uh, you know, it's it's not it's not a shameful thing. If you don't know something, it's never shameful. Uh, I think what's most shameful is if you choose to remain ignorant and not do anything about it. So we help uh, we help take people who um, maybe don't read very well, maybe don't read at all, maybe uh, only have partial English uh, understanding and speaking ability, and we help them improve, and we help them uh, more seamlessly integrate into uh, American and English-speaking language societies. That's awesome. Do you have, so is it all individual-based help like I call you we get some one-on-one things are there like larger classes or different um, opportunities that are offered around well all right so the majority of our services are going to be one-on-one typically by an assigned tutor Um, as your needs change your tutor might change Uh, there are a number of in the past there have been some group setting uh, learning but um what we do is our executive director uh, will accept uh, your student application, meet with you, try to determine what it is you need, and then best match you with the best possible uh, tutor or volunteer that we can find to give you what you need. And so uh, that's a that's a pretty delicate task, and uh, it takes a lot of skill to be able to properly match people to work well together. Uh, at the level that you want, that you uh, want to focus on. Um, so typically, the group learning is good and it does occur, uh, but more often than not, it is a one-on-one uh, interaction between um, a student and a tutor. And as their needs change, the materials will change, the books will change, and, and even the tutor might change. That sounds like a great. A great way to do it, to be able to individualize it rather than just throwing everybody through the exact same process. You can figure out, oh, you need to go here. You need, you already know this. We don't need to do this. Or you would work best with this personality. So that seems very helpful. 
Yeah, that's been very effective. And we've helped a lot of people and we have some really great success stories. Um, you know, and, and uh, I think I, I, I'm especially proud of uh, helping people that come, that come to us without uh, a GED. You know, I think uh, recently there's a 55-year-old man who never um, really learned how to read above, you know, say a fourth or fifth grade level. And he came to us and said, I, re I really want to do better and I want to I want to do better at my job and I want to be able to um, help my kids uh, and, and read for them and read to them. And um, so we helped him. We got him. A, he, he got himself. He worked really hard and got himself a GED, lots of uh, math and, and English and history and a lot of other stuff. And uh, and he he succeeded. And it's a it's a truly amazing a gift to yourself to uh, to feed uh, the knowledge inside your your mind and and to expand it in such a way that uh, that he was able to do. So I'm, I'm most proud of those of those stories and uh, and those successes. Uh, and they and they do come. Uh, they take a, a fair amount of time and a fair amount of hard work, but they're uh, always worth it. So how how is that um, studying to get the GED process? Because um, when most people, or myself, when think of a literacy council, you just think of um, reading, ability to read, reading skills, um, English language skills. But now you're throwing in all these other things. You're like, we're math and science. And so is the, the literacy and the reading, is that the path to showing them, uh, showing somebody how to better understand materials so they can study to get the GED or are you just taking them all um, at the same time as different disciplines and actually teaching them the necessary things for the GED or how well, does that work? I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, the literacy part of it is you're providing tools that people can use to, go to get further information uh, so that they can properly uh, direct that knowledge and uh, experience in in the direction that they want to. So, typically, the first thing that would happen is you would you would have an assessment. Um, we would decide where on the uh, on the um, the curve of learning you are. Uh, if you are considerably low, then we have to start with uh, easier literacy based. Um, Tools and you, you, you know, for using going back to math as our example, uh, you know, when you learn how to count, you can't jump into trigonometry. Uh, you have to, you know, start by understanding the rules of math and how to read uh, and how to understand and how to think, uh, which is super important too. And uh, so we, that's what those are some of the skills that we teach at the lowest end. Uh, and then when that's accomplished. And we have a baseline to work from. We can um, elevate uh, to more advanced learning, uh, which may include advanced scientific literacy uh, concepts and and some other things uh, to really round out the amount of knowledge that you're gaining from the experience. Anybody who may need that service would definitely be in good hands there. Is that all uh, a free service offered to the community then? It is. We charge for nothing. Uh, again, a lot of our work is dependent upon the uh, volunteers 
that uh, that sign up with us and uh, and work with us. Um, we have uh, relationships with other uh, councils and other uh, literacy organizations that allow us. Uh, the United Way of Inner Wisconsin is one of them. Uh, allow us to really reach out uh, for needs that we do not directly uh, offer. And uh, this this allows us to uh, help uh, the students or the learners with anything that they that we can help them with, we can help them with, and anything we can't help them with, we can direct them to somebody who can. Okay. And once someone gets through this whole program, maybe get their GED, they maybe get a college degree, a PhD, they're super smart, and they want to patent something. <laughs> They would also come to you, wouldn't they? Uh, well, they could. Um, they have a, a pretty wide uh, choice. I'm, I think uh, I've been running my own uh, company here called The Patent Company in Wisconsin Rapids since 2007. Uh, and I've been uh, – I, I do a lot of pro bono uh, free uh, work uh, and low cost and reduced cost work. Uh, for patents and patenting for small inventors, uh, typically uh, in Wisconsin-based inventors. Uh, so I, what I do is I, I do a lot of uh, – well, uh, the majority of my work is done for larger corporations. Um, I uh, give preference to some of the local inventors uh, and try to help them um, realize uh, their ideas and uh, develop their ideas. Uh, market their ideas, uh, patent their ideas, and uh, and just generally uh, try to make the world a better place. Yeah, I've always been really interested in patents and inventions. I used to have a notebook as a kid of trying to invent things, but I never could really grasp what that whole process might entail. It seems very uh, very obscure very strange to me like if someone has an invention like what is that process and if you're helping them is there is there a fee to get to get a patent with the government and how long does that take are there forms do you need to do a bunch of research to see if it's already been patented or yeah well so all of those things uh yes <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a short answer um to start with, I think, uh, you know, you got to be careful with the word invention because I can, I can go into my mind and, and say, uh, all right, I want to develop a set of uh, eyeglasses that have coffee in them so I can tip my glasses and drink coffee w uh, when I get thirsty and have Amazing. My, my head keep it warm. I don't, I don't know. So I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> I anyway, so. Now. <laughs> so uh, if, if this is your invention and you've just thought about it, then it's not truly an invention yet. Uh, we have to do what's called reducing it to practice. So we have to, uh, I think it was um, a, a very famous saying that says that invention is 1% uh, inspiration and 99% perspiration, <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and the reason for that is, is that having the initial idea is, is very powerful. Uh, but realizing the invention and actually making it so that it works and it works the way you want it to is sometimes very, very difficult and it takes a long, long time. And so 
I can help at a number of, of those stages uh, where I can help develop your ideas or sort of think outside the box. Or I've had a lot of exposure to a lot of areas of invention that um, a great many artisans are not uh, adapted to. Um, you know, when you, when you, let's say you're a farmer and you're working with your hay equipment, uh, it's a pretty limited set of machinery. Uh, and it has a very specific task uh, that it has to perform. And generally, when you're working with that kind of thing, you're very tuned in to that particular type of equipment. Um, if you want to improve on that type of equipment, it might be worth looking at some things that are not, don't initially seem related. Um, I don't know, for example, a, a cotton gin or, uh, um, uh, maybe even something that plants seeds, uh, you know, any something that uh, deals with soil in, in a way that you weren't really thinking about when you need to fix or maintain your equipment. Uh, and so I can sort of take you outside of, um, outside of the realm that you're currently in to see if there's anything out there that would help you uh, with your particular invention. Uh, now, once uh, to answer some of your other questions, including fees, the government does charge a fee, a patent, uh, and this might, this might be a great topic for a, a different session if you want to invite me back, is um, what a patent is and, and uh, how a patent is procured. Uh, you need to pay somebody like me. You don't need to. Let me take that back. It's best to pay somebody, a professional who knows how to write a, a patent application because a patent is a contract. It's a legal document purely between yourself and the government uh, that gives you the ability to allow uh, the government to tell other corporations and people to stop uh, using, making your invention. Uh, and so what it does is it's, it's basically a suing license. That's what a, a patent is. Uh, and it lasts for generally uh, 14 to 20 years, uh, depending on the type of patent you're getting. Uh, it may take you uh, from the time of filing. It may take you a number of years to actually get the patent. Wow. Uh, again, um, depends to uh, the government initially always says no. I won't say always, but generally they, they say no the first time and they do what's called reject your patent application and your claims. And uh, that's when usually when, when people contact me is they say, uh, yeah, I, I wrote my own patent application and the government um, really destroyed my claims and, and I need some help. And then I'll go in and take a look and see if there's a way that we can salvage that to get some claims that are become allowable and uh, which will or may um, mature into a patent. Um, and so, uh, the, it, it does have a fee. There are filing fees. Uh, I think the initial filing cost for, uh, that will allow you an examination of your claims is about $1,600 for a large entity, for a micro entity, somebody who doesn't have any patents already and earns very generally very little money will cost you a quarter of that. So about $400. Wow. And it can take a couple years, and they usually deny it. You said so. Is there any is there any uh, preference given to other people? Like, say, I have an idea. 
and Apple has an idea. And mine was put in there first, and it's going through this long process, but then Apple gets theirs in a little bit after me, but they've, they would theirs get in first, and then when I resubmitted mine, they'd be like, sorry, Apple has that patent. Uh, okay. Uh, well, the United States has uh, has transitioned from the first to invent uh, provisions that have been existence for the last, say, 200 years. And very recently, we've gone to the first to file, uh, which means that the preference that you're talking about will be given to the person or company or entity uh, that first filed the patent application. So even let's let's say that you uh, developed a new um, invention that Apple would be very interested in. You develop the invention, but you never patent it. Maybe you go and you pitch it uh, at one of their board meetings or one of their uh, inventor shows, and they take it from you, uh, and they start to use it, uh, and they file a patent application. Uh, it's a there's a very good chance in that scenario that you would lose control over your invention and you would have no associated rights with it. Wow. Uh, so it's very important to uh, try to file that patent application as early as you can. Um, even if it never matures into a patent, uh, you have at least um, the opportunity to go back to it before it uh, it becomes abandoned. Um, which means if you it, wait too much time before if, uh, to respond to the government, if they say no, when they say no, um, if it takes too much time to respond, then you, that's called abandonment of your invention. So you're no longer trying to get the patent on it. Uh, but if you fight diligently for the patent, um, you can protect yourself against larger corporations like that. And there are a number of success stories that allow small inventors to do that. That's awesome. The The contrast between this and the patents, the patents are you need to file, otherwise uh, you may have no claim to your idea, whereas the moment I write down anything on a piece of paper, it is my copyright unique, uh, unique words, and I don't, the filing is a formality in the writing sense, so you get automatic protection when you write, and when you invent, you you don't. So it's an right, interesting very, contrast. No, and I agree. And those are uh, two very different portions of intellectual property. Uh, copyright law is a very different animal uh, from patent law. And um, it's important to understand them and to have a sort of a broad overview. So one day, if, if you want to invite me back, we can talk about patents and I can do it from beginning to end. Uh, maybe you can talk a little about copyright, which is something I am uh, fairly ignorant about. Yeah, that's also an involved process if you if you bring in everything else like libel and different things and getting permissions for everything. It gets very just as murky as patents, I think, on yeah. what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah, I would love to learn more about the copyright intellectual property. Is there anything else about the Literacy Council that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share? I don't think so. I think that uh, we, we're always in desperate need of volunteers. Uh, so if you are interested in helping uh, other adults learn how to read, write, speak, um, then please contact us and uh, sign up. And uh, we 
that this is one of, one of the things that we do and uh, other uh, we help uh, s- some elderly um, people in the, in the uh, in the community we can uh, we work with generally with everybody and we we sort of help lean with other organizations too if they need help uh, with um, moving uh, getting getting some uh, old ladies to uh, their doctor's appointments and other things too or volunteers step up and uh, really try to try to take you know get up and do the right thing and so it's um, it's a really it's a beautiful group of people uh, we do really important work and um, we are more than welcome to help you uh, somebody you know or uh, accept your help to help somebody else that's an amazing service for the community where is the actual building all right so uh, we, right our um, headquarter office we operate mostly in uh, Wisconsin Rapids and Marshfield. Uh, we have our headquarters is at the St. John's uh, Evangelist Episcopal Church uh, across the street from the post office here in Rapids on Grand Avenue. Our address is uh, 320 Oak Street, phone number 1-855-483-7229. But we also have a presence in Marshfield uh, where we're helping a great number of um, of non-language, uh, non-English speakers in Marshfield. Uh, we have a, uh, a presence there at the St. Paul, I forget, I, I, I forget the exact address, but the, the St. DePaul. Uh, the Marshfield Goodwill Retail Store and Training Center? Uh, that's the building that it's in, yep. And we have a... Uh, that's uh, at... 2220 North Central Ave in Marshfield. Sounds right. But the best way to contact us is uh, either through our website, uh, centralwisconsinliteracy.org, or phone number 1-855-483-7229. And speaking of literacy and reading and copyrights, I um, understand that you've brought some recommendations for reading in well i did you you asked me to uh, to generate a short list uh, and being that we are a literacy council um i wanted to try to give a pretty wide range of uh of reading topics now let's see the genre that you uh, gave me was science fiction fantasy um and it's a super broad category and there's some really uh, beautiful pieces of work out there, and so I tried to take a uh, a pretty wide brush, um, and I think I started back in the 1950s. I picked uh, five books that I highly recommend for summer consumption uh, and reading, uh, and it spans through 1992. Um, yeah, some of them, I guess, one, uh, the, for the first one. Uh, Are these in order of importance? Uh, like not, if if yeah. it's number one, is should I start with number one on your list? Not at all. No, uh, all, each they're of just these, uh, uh, stand, they're all good. All, okay. Well, not only are they all good, but they all stand completely on their own. Uh, so they're all completely independent. Uh, the the first one is a uh, HBO recently did a remake uh, and made a two hour movie uh, of Fahrenheit four fifty one. 
Really? Uh, I did not know that. Read, uh, yeah, written by uh, Ray Bradbury back in 1953. And um, it was a, it's a very interesting and very modern adaptation of, uh, of this very famous book. Um, but it's it's one that I think that it's really important that we understand, uh, and we should understand how um, literacy and how literary works impact us, and how they uh, how they directly um, enrich our lives. and uh, And and Fahrenheit four fifty one is a is a really great. And very interesting uh, take on what happens when those uh, that that very essential uh, freedom, I'll call it, is taken away. And uh, so that that was the first one on my list. It's the oldest one uh, on my list. I remember reading it in high school and having to do some papers on it. I remember even in high school getting assigned it. I remember enjoying it. I've meant to come back to it. This might be the prodding I needed to go through it again. Well, you know, the interesting thing about high school is, is I, I read a, a great number of books in high school uh, that I didn't enjoy at all in high school. Uh, but now as an adult, I uh, have found that they're, the, the lessons that I've garnered from some of those books are immensely powerful. Yeah. Some of them that I went back and reread just like maybe TV shows that a seven-year-old is watching, you go back and go, oh, oh, I didn't see this was going on. Like you kind of get like 30% of what's going on and you, a lot of it just flies over your head. So it's, yeah, fun to go back and reread those. Well, all right. So I'm, I'm not even sure if uh, Fahrenheit 451 is a science fiction uh, <laughs> fantasy type of book, but it I was one science that's, fiction. Uh, it flo- yeah, it floated to the top for me uh, because it's the oldest. Uh, but more importantly, it uh, there's the the HBO remake that I um, recorded and was able to watch a little bit of, and it was a very interesting modern take on a very uh, central idea of uh, the importance of literacy and literary works. I'll probably end up watching that HBO before I make it through the book again. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no, the book is a good read too. Uh, the second my the second book uh, that I uh, recommend for summer reading is a classic by all terms, and it's one that I think if you have not read, um, it will be uh, a, a great enjoyment. This is one of the one of the gems <clears throat> provided to the to the literary world. Uh, Dune by Frank Herbert. Uh, and this would, it's a, there are, I think, a total of six books that he himself wrote. And there might be some other ones that after he passed away, um, I think his son might have tried to author some. And I think they found some transcripts and tried to patch it together. But uh, it's a, it's a really amazing, beautiful story of, uh, of prophecy and the Messiah. And the realization of um, of power and and in uh, a lot of things, it's just a, a lot of different things. But it's uh, it that this one truly is a science fiction fantasy um, in that realm that uh, that takes place on uh, Arrakis, 
uh, uh, Dune, I think, is another name that they call the the planet, and uh, it's just an an amazing microcosm, an amazing piece of literary work uh, that every science fiction uh, anybody who jo- enjoys science fiction of any at any level really needs to read. I remember I listened to it for the first time like ten years ago. The reading was really great. If you can. Um, find the audiobook too. It's really great. And yeah, it was good. Um, all that talk about the spice on the planet, I just somehow associated it with cinnamon in my brain. I put tons of cinnamon in my pancakes. I always think of Dune just putting <laughs> spice, being an addict for my pancakes. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a great, uh, great piece of work that is. Uh, well, you know, transitioning, I said, well, okay, all right, we can, you know, go all serious and give everybody their hardcore science fiction stuff, but we got to stray a little bit, make it generally uh, more applicable to some wider audiences. So my third choice is one that's a little more silly, but no less intelligent, uh, and that is uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, by Douglas Adams. Now, I know that uh, this is this book has sort of fallen off of a lot of lists, um, I think because uh, Douglas Adams is dead, uh, that could be it, uh, and so his the amount of work that he's producing is greatly diminished. Uh, but this uh, and the, he there's a number of pieces of uh, of work that along the lines of the Hitchhiker's Guide that are really really clever, and it's an interesting angle on. Um, on our place in the universe and how uh, we view things and how we, in my opinion, should view things. Uh, I think, as I recall, the first few words of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is, is that space is big. It's really, really big. And if you thought walking down to the corner drugstore was a long walk, then you don't truly understand how big space is. Um and I think it's a it's a, a little bit humbling and 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 it's a lot bit silly, uh, and it and it centers around the uh, stumblings of a of a man named uh, Ford Prefect uh, as he finds himself uh, in very interesting and uh, complex and dangerous situations um, in the universe and strange other strange beings and uh, and how he reacts to it and I think it's a a really interesting and great it's a fun read um where dune is a is an amazing read but i wouldn't say it's fun uh it's it can get tough i think the first couple of times i actually tried to read dune i was unable to do so because it was just so um thick it was like they would, the the level of understanding that you had to be at to 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 sort of absorb it was at a really high level. Uh, the the Hitchhiker's Guide, though, is very easy reading, and uh, it's a lot of fun. You sit down yeah. with it over a weekend and read it. Dune has those intensely complicated interpersonal uh, meetings and nuances and things like the Game of Thrones where you're like, this one hour is just about like these people like subtly shifting and trying to shift each other's opinions. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, um, I've pretty much everybody or a lot of people, not just people who read science fiction, 
um, exclusively have read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and enjoy it, whereas fewer, um, unless you really like science fiction, fewer have read Dune, in my experience. Yeah, no, but yeah, Dune is a, it's a, that's non-negotiable. You, if you even have ever spoken the word science fiction out of your mouth, you need to go and buy a copy of Dune right now. There it is. Or go to your library and get a copy. Gotta get it. (laughs) And read it. Consume it and uh, and enjoy it. Now, there are a number of uh, movie uh, remakes, I guess, for all three of the ones so far. There are movies, a number of different productions. I know Dune had at least two. Uh, and there might have been a third one that w- never got completed. I never saw the movie. Um, the, the original in the 1980s, I'm going to guess, was actually really well done. But uh, as you said... The new getting those nuances on screen is very difficult, and so the the first uh, Dune production was um, a lot of it was people whispering in their own mind. Oh, right, and so yeah. they would sh- and and because that's you know p- as people are in a situation and they're processing the information, how they're thinking becomes a critical lens to uh, view the scene, and so. Um, I think it's very beautifully done like that. And, and while, you know, the, the, um, the computer graphics and stuff was not state of the art back in the 1980s, uh, I think, I think, I thought it was a very beautiful production. Um, and it was redone again fairly recently within the last 10 years, I think. I don't know. I might be wrong about that. Um, but more recently than the 1980s, and uh, it was a really, really good production too. Oh, by the way, Sting, uh, for any uh, music fans out there, is in the original Dune production. Wow, he acts in that production. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Uh, he's a very, uh, he's a very literate uh, guy too. Sting, I think, has degrees in English literature. Uh, he's yeah, very, uh, very fond of uh, of some of the classics too, as a lot of his music reflects. Was he in any other movies? Just Dune. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. I know for a fact though he was in Dune. He was uh, he was a, he's a very interesting character. Uh, I could see that. I like David Bowie in Labyrinth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> What's next on the list? All right. So shifting gears here, we got. The next two books were written in 1992, so a lot more recent than any of these other ones. Uh, I guess Hitchhiker's Guide was 1980 or 79. Um, So this – I had the joy of reading this one uh, last summer, and it became one of my staples. This is a a really amazing book. It's called A Fire Upon the Deep uh, by Werner Vinge. Uh, V-I-N-G-E. And so this what a what an amazing, amazing science fiction piece of work this is. Um so in sort of in sort of trying to explain what it is, a fire upon the deep is the universe the we'll call we'll say I guess it's the universe. The the space in general is broken into four what they call zones. And the zones uh, have the further, I guess, away from the center of the galaxy or universe or whatever it is that we're talking about, the further you get away from it, the more easy it 
the easier you move through space. So if you're really close to the center, movement is almost impossible. But as you get out, I think Earth is in the second zone. Um, it becomes a little more feasible. And then the third zone, uh, it becomes really easy to move around space. And in the fourth zone, I think it's called um, the transcend. That's what, what they call it, the transcend, because movement becomes almost instantaneous, right, to anywhere, to anywhere around. Uh, so it's a really, it's a really interesting, uh, I would probably call it hard science fiction, uh, because it's real, there's not a lot of rule bending, um, but it's a really beautiful work. Uh, Fire Upon the Deep, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I've not, I've not heard of it. Highly recommended. The last one on my list is another one. This, this, uh, and being that a number of years ago, I, I took my um, young middle-aged daughters. I guess they were what, maybe eight and twelve at the time. I took them to see The Martian uh, in the movie theater, and I think that we've uh, slowly become obsessed. With Mars, uh, and I think mm -hmm. I'm I'm not sure whether it's good or bad, uh, but I think that the um, that the exploration and the and the 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 lead into the scientific uh, curiosity is super super important. I guess uh, not, I think you know. we've been uh, obsessed with Mars for a long time, even back in when did he write it? When maybe it was the '60s. Philip K. Dick wrote Martian Time Slip that was on Mars and. He wrote other short stories. Maybe Philip K. Dick started it. He had a lot of Mars stuff. Yeah, well, you know, Philip uh, K. Dick wrote a lot of stuff, uh, and I'm not a big fan. Uh, I have read most Ouch. of his stuff. No, well, uh, you know, some people like him, uh, and I'll tell you, he was an absolute visionary. Uh, he saw things, I think, and imagined things that were um, very outside of the box. He was he was able to see things and and react to things that other people weren't uh, weren't really observing. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I've read a great number of his things, if not uh, the majority of them. Um, but there are very few of them that I really enjoyed. I, I not this. I, I respect them highly. There's no question, uh, and they're amazing pieces of work. I just didn't like them <laughs> i know does that make sense so yeah i've read a lot of them as well and he is one of my favorites if i had a list there would be philip k dick all over it be ubic uh flow my tears as the policeman said scanner darkly um i don't know we could go on but <laughs> well yeah no what did i uh, i think i just saw something on um uh what was the what the story where uh um, where Japan uh, won the World War II. Man in the High Castle? Right, the Man in the High Castle. And that, I think, uh, that was made by Amazon, I think. Uh, they yes, did a they have two seasons, and I am eagerly awaiting their third season, but it's taking a very long time to All produce. right, well, I'll take your recommendation and maybe give uh, Mr. Dick uh, another chance here at at redemption, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, but all right. So anyway, the, the fifth book here that I'm uh, trying to dance around is called Red Mars uh, by Kim Stanley Robinson. This book, and this is one of uh, at least two. I'm not sure how many there are. You know, it's interesting. I don't get into a lot of this series. Like if there are a series of books. I'll read one or two of them, <laughs> and then I'm done with out. them. I need to go to a different different something. Are um, you a non-starter if it's a, like, I'm making, I'm writing three books, and this is going to be one story, and it's the first book release? Do you, are you one of those people like, no, I want to see all three books finish before I start this thing? No, not at all. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I'm very um, open-minded to episodes. All right. Uh, and that's a, you know, I think all of life is like that. Even our memories are sort of categorized as episodes. And so, uh, you know, I've got no problem. But Red Red Mars is an absolutely stunning um, take on the politics as we are moving toward colonizing Mars, which I'm I'm, I'm not convinced will happen during our li- our lifetime. While it's possible, I think that we'll see some setbacks that might take a little longer. Um, but the inevitable conflict and politics that will occur on on a, on a foreign world, uh, n- not only among themselves, but between the earth and a, a foreign world is a very delicate dance and uh, to envision and to describe. And I think that this is by far the most powerful and the most tuned into um, any kind of realistic uh, scenario uh, when it comes to colonizing a, a, another world. Um, ama- just amazing. I highly recommended. All five of these are highly recommended. But Red Mars uh, was is an absolutely amazing story and one that we should keep in mind as we move toward Mars and we move toward colonizing Mars and uh, Elon Musk wants to die on Mars. I sure uh, hope that he has read this book and he understands um, some of the factions that will arise and uh, and how you know how people interact and how planets interact. Uh, and that's I think that's difficult for us to wrap our head around because it's not something that we've yeah had any experience with or uh, there's nothing even that we can gauge to compare with so it's a this is a a really beautiful uh photograph i'll call it of um while while fabricated and it's not uh true uh it's fictional but uh it's a it's it's quite an amazing picture to look at and to really learn from it and so is it a story of uh colonizing mars or like they already have colonized and they have problems or uh okay so red mars is the colonization process okay blue mars which i think is the next book in the series is there are there's at least one faction in red mars that wants to terraform the planet and you know i mean terraforming doesn't take doesn't happen overnight and so you have to put get all the pieces in place and then you have to make it happen. And so uh, I think Blue Mars may or may not be when that uh, has begun 
or when it has been initiated. Um, and of course, the politics and priorities of the world change. Um, in addition, in conjunction with the politics and the changing of Earth, which being, you know, a million miles away is difficult in any capacity to sort of uh, to gauge and to compare. And so uh, any, anyway, I, I think uh, I don't want to bias this too much with uh, with uh, with with my take on the whole thing. But uh, I think the I think this is a necessary read. Uh, and I would even if I was a high school English teacher, I would be reading this book. Absolutely. To give uh, the kids not only the minimal scientific literacy that they're going to need in this age of colonization uh, and expansion, um, but the understanding of the politics and the nuances um, of of interaction of, with people and interaction with factions and interactions with societies. It's uh, fascinating to consider. This is a highly highly recommended Red Mars. All right, I'm going to have to, we've got a lot of books that I'm going to need to read. Uh, speaking of Mars, I thought I just saw something on the news that NASA was going to have some kind of big announcement of something from Mars. Did that already happen? I'm not sure. Huh. Yeah, they said they found, there's some th some finding that they're going to have a big press conference on, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it didn't happen yet. By the time this podcast is out, it probably did happen. Maybe it changed the entire light that you're uh, viewing these I books. Well, I don't know. We've heard these things, these promises from uh, NASA before. I yeah, think yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, you know, if we presume, I guess that Mars is not. Uh, it's not all hoax, and there actually is a Mars. Uh, then whoa, uh, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> we're going deep. Uh, thank you for all these book recommendations. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Uh, a lot of good information to think about if you need any literacy help, patent help, and now your summer reading list for science fiction is complete. So thank you for coming on. Well, right on. Thank you for uh, for having me. And again, I'm going to invite everybody down to, to our book sale, uh, which is going to start on Thursday evening, the 14th of June uh, at the uh, across the street from the post office in uh, Wisconsin Rapids on Grand Avenue here right down the street from the library uh, at uh, the St. John Evangelist Episcopal Church, uh, the Central Wisconsin Literacy Council. We're going to have a big book sale. Oh, we're going to, we're also going to have uh, some yummy uh, uh, junk food, uh, including some uh, baked goods. And we're going to be selling coffee and water and soda and everything, um, especially during the parade of the Cranberry what is it? Cranberry Blossom Festival Parade, which mm -hmm. is going to happen on Sunday, the 17th. Uh, we're going to be open uh, selling books then, too. But we'll also be on the sidewalk uh, peddling uh, water and cheap soda and uh, coffee and uh, some yummy baked goods. So come get some, please. Yes. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you use this information to strike up a local conversation. We believe in the power of community and story here at the library, 
and we have plenty of stories in book, ebook, CD, DVD, and magazine form. Check us out at macmillanlibrary.org to see upcoming events, including concerts, speakers, movies, and more. We also have free online classes through Gale Courses, as well as a host of databases for your research needs. If you can't find what you're looking for, stop in at the information desk. The Macmillan Conversation Maker podcast can be found at macmillanlibrary.org backslash podcast. Podcast.